Hello, I am Donna Freeman, the founder of Yoga in My School, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. I appreciate you coming and having a listen. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your comments, and your ratings. It truly is a blessing as it helps others to find us. The purpose of the Yoga in My School podcast is to empower you to share yoga and mindfulness with youth. Through the archives and this episode in particular, I know that you will receive inspiration, knowledge, and tools to help you do so. We also are big fans of building community, and we love finding people who are doing amazing things in the kids' yoga community worldwide. So if you know of someone, or maybe you are someone, who are doing something incredible and you'd like to share it, feel free to reach out. You can email me, Donna, at yoganmyschool.com with ideas for upcoming episodes. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful day, and enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Yoga in My School podcast, a podcast where we explore everything related to yoga and mindfulness for youth. And I'm so glad you're here today to join us. My name is Donna Freeman. I'm the founder of Yoga in My School and the host of the podcast. And um, if you're a longtime listener, thank you for coming back. And if you're a new listener, because this topic intrigued you, I appreciate you tuning in. And I know that today's conversation will be one that is full of of insight and things to consider as we move forward as a kids yoga community. And I think they're really important considerations, not just kids yoga, but yoga in general, um, the yoga culture, uh, the westernized westernization of yoga, um, the cultural appropriation of yoga, all those kind of topics we're going to be getting into quite deeply and uh, hopefully sensitively uh, as we have a special guest. This is Crunchyranjani. She is a writer and a content creator for health, health and wellness professionals and and I read one of her articles in May, back in May of 2021, and it shed a lot of light onto a topic that I was really excited about. And then I started, I read her article, I went, oh my goodness, there is so much more here that I had never considered. And I loved the questions that she posed. And so I followed up with her. I went and found her and, uh, and she's here today. Thanks so much, Crunch, for joining us. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm really well, and I'm really excited to discuss this topic with your audience. Fantastic. So we'll give our listeners, I'll give our listeners first a little bit of background about the topic, and then we'll dive into your article and some of the, the, the concepts that you brought to light um, that I said, like, for me, I hadn't even considered some of them. And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's made me think a lot. All right. So Wait, we're going to go back in the time machine, people, back to 1993. And in 1993, the state of Alabama banned yoga in schools. All right. So yoga has been banned all this time in schools until this past May, May 2021, um, when a bill was passed that yoga could actually be taught in schools again with a huge caveat a huge caveat. So you couldn't, you can't use any Sanskrit. You have to use English terms for all of the, um, all of the poses. You have to have parents sign signature for students to participate. Um, there is, you can't do mantras or mudras. Um, there are a number of things that were outright banned. Um, so yes, you can do yoga, but not all of these little things that 
are part of a yoga practice. And um, by and large, everyone or lots of people celebrated the fact that, yay, yoga be in schools now in Alabama. That's awesome. Yay. Fantastic. And then I read Crunch's article. And I went, oh, my goodness, what have we done? What have we done? Um, so <clears throat> um, can you tell us a little bit, Crunch, because I know you've researched this a little bit more than I have, but can you kind of say um, what you saw as the reaction to the lifting of the ban back in May? Um, well, let me lead with the fact that Alabama has not actually lifted the ban. They proposed this bill and it was eventually overturned. Um, so Alabama has not lifted the ban on yoga. It is still illegal to teach yoga in schools in Alabama um, because in the end, um, they faced a lot of pressure from um, some communities and eventually they decided that no, yoga is not a good fit for our schools. So we will continue with this ban. <laughs> um, yeah, so coming back to- just, I'm the, just going to interrupt there. That's interesting because that wasn't reported. <laughs> yeah, All that doesn't make reports. the news. Every As article, <laughs> CNN, uh, you know, like BBC, everybody was like, yeah, it's been lifted. This is great, you know, except for all these things. And there's some pushback about those things. So that's really interesting that there hasn't been like an update letting everybody know that it actually hasn't been lifted. Yeah, I think that was the huh. of the the most final update, but I may be wrong. I will. <laughs> we should do some <laughs> checking on that. Um, but yeah, initially when the bill was proposed, um, there was a lot, like, I think the general reaction from the yoga teacher community or the yoga community at large was just like shock. Like, how is this possible that an entire state has banned yoga from schools? Because it's not banned in other states in the United States. Um, so everybody was pretty much like, what? I had no idea this was a thing. And how has this been in existence since 1993? That's almost 30 years that you know, yoga has been banned in Alabama and nobody knew about it. Nobody even thought about it. But then after the shock had kind of faded, everybody, like a lot of people were citing the, like they had positive reactions to the bill and they were talking about, oh yeah, the kids are going to benefit so much from having yoga. It's going to give them a lot of peace and mindfulness and, you know, being able to be still and calm. And it's a great first step forward in a community like Alabama, which is very conservative. So, you know, introducing yoga in schools is such a great, you know, step forward. But then um, at the same time, in these conversations that were celebrating the fact that Alabama was considering overturning the ban, um, there were also some people who were not very, like who are expressing less positive um, reactions. And this came primarily from South Asian yoga teachers who saw this as um, a cherry, cherry picking of like the best parts or like the parts that were deemed appropriate in inverted commas, <laughs> appropriate by the white community to adopt into their schools. And um, that it's whitewashing, it's cultural appropriation. It's not, you know, treating yoga with respect and, you know, um, in that sense, people like from the South Asian community were quite upset that <laughs> that Alabama was moving forward with this bill or that they were trying to introduce a very watered down version of yoga in schools. So that was pretty much the reaction that came up. 
Fantastic. Well, can you now can you kind of explain some people might not be exactly clear what you mean by whitewashing of yoga or the cultural appropriation of yoga. Like, can you go a little bit deeper into that that point of view? Okay, so maybe it's good to start with so cultural appropriation and whitewashing is something that we've been talking about recently in the last couple of years with all the you know recent movements in society, but basically it. Um, it comes from the unacknowledged and inappropriate adoption of certain parts of a culture by members of another culture in a way that doesn't um, respect the original use or purpose of, you know, within that original culture. So um, there's definitely a power dynamic at play in appropriation, in cultural appropriation, where, you know, members of a higher power, in inverted commas, like people who have power, um, take certain elements that they find good or beneficial and leave other parts of it. And um, yeah, it, they don't um, give credit where credit is due. So um, in this situation, we can think about yoga as being, as, as the kind of yoga that Alabama wants to adopt introduce in schools as a kind of cultural appropriation because they have decided that the stretching part is good. The breathing exercises are good, but not the names in Sanskrit, not the chanting, not the mudras, not the other aspects of yoga. And um, I'm not a yoga teacher, but I understand that yoga has like there are eight limbs of yoga and asana poses, doing the exercises, doing the stretches and contorting yourself into strange postures is just one of the eight limbs. <laughs> so what about the other seven? Like, if you want to introduce yoga in schools, you should be introducing all of it or more than just one of it. And definitely like to insist that uh, even the names of yoga postures to be only said in English or in, in a translated version of the poses name in English is a kind of way of like wash, whitewashing it, right? This is saying that, no, this is the part that we as a white community think is okay. And the rest of it is irrelevant. It's not important. It, we don't care about it. We don't care about the fact that this comes from a long history, a long lineage, like people's cultures. Like this is something that people in a certain culture have been practicing for thousands of years. And we don't care about any of that. All we care about is the stuff that we think is important that's breathing and stretching and none of the other things and I think that's why a lot of um, South Asian yoga teachers spoke up about this and felt very hurt that um, that legislators were saying that this part of your culture is not important we don't like it and therefore we don't want it in our schools but we want the rest of it so I think that's where we talk about whitewashing cultural appropriation Fantastic. Yeah, I think it is a, a important conversation to have. And that's why we're here having it. Okay. <laughs> now, um, yeah, just for all of our listeners, I, there will be a link to the article that Crunch wrote um, in the show notes. But one of the questions that you talked about, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, I'd never considered this. But you asked the question, um, because a lot of the pushback you say is conservative, but a lot of it is also very religious, that they see yoga as being religious, as um, introducing uh, Hindu uh, thoughts, philosophies, and, um, and beliefs into the school system. And so that's where a lot of the pushback comes back, comes from. And so you then ask the question, can a language be religious? 
and how do we have different standards for different languages? And because I, I love languages and these type of things, I went, those are really interesting questions. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about this concept of, of like why like you, you just talked about it, but why is why like why are people worried about Sanskrit? Right. So um, that's one of the specific exclusions in the Alabama bill is that Sanskrit and the greeting namaste is specifically prohibited. It's expressly like no Sanskrit at all. And I was wondering like why? Because Sanskrit at the end of the day is just a language, right? Like English is a language, French is a language, Spanish, Latin, Hebrew, all of these are just languages and language is a means of communication. So why is there this additional um, burden being placed on Sanskrit that it is also religious? So I think part of it comes from the fact that Sanskrit is used in Hinduism, in like the chants, in, in, in religious rites, and um, it's also associated with Jainism and other, in Buddhism and a little in some aspects. Um, so it's associated with a lot of religious with a lot of religions that come that originate from South Asia, but um, somehow Sanskrit has this association of being religious or being explicitly <laughs> religious where other languages don't have this. So for example, if we think about, let's say, ballet, which is a French tradition, right? You use all these French words in describing terms in ballet. I don't speak French, so I will not attempt to say any of these words <laughs> and butcher the language, but in a French, in a ballet class, nobody's going to tell the yoga, the French, the, excuse me, in a ballet class, nobody's going to tell the ballet teacher, don't say these French words, you can only teach in English. I mean, yes, the instruction is provided in English, but certain actions or certain movements have their names in French, and nobody tells the ballet teacher, no, cannot, you cannot use the French words. And but in, in yoga, they're saying that you can't use any Sanskrit words or like you can't use any Sanskrit, even if it's the name of the asana that you're teaching, which seems to me a little bit strange because it's like saying, you know, you're telling a, a, a Hispanic kid, no, you can't, your name can't be Jose, it has to be John or whatever, or Joseph, whatever, just because we want it to be in English. That's really strange. It's a name. <laughs> like, what's the harm in using the name, right? Um, I think there's also, like, um, another point to think about is the fact that we don't treat other languages that have religious associations as being religious. So, for example, Hebrew is a biblical language. Greek is a biblical language, but in modern contexts, when people speak Hebrew or Greek, nobody says don't speak Hebrew or Greek. These are, you know, religious languages. You cannot use them in a school setting, right? Or even Latin, right? Latin is like in the Catholic Church, they do rites using certain Latin phrases, I think. And we use Latin words in describing anatomy, botany in, in science, right? All of these are Latin words, but nobody says, no, these are associated with the church, with the Christian church, they're religious, we cannot use Latin in schools. That's not what happens. So I see of this, I see this as kind of like a certain 
religions and certain languages associated with certain religions are okay and all the rest are not. Or that's my interpretation of what's happening, right? That like, to me, it seems like Sanskrit's on the same level as Latin, as French, as Hebrew and all of these other languages, yet only Hebrew, only Sanskrit is being penalized in this context. So to me, it just seems like some religions are being prioritized or given preferential treatment over others. And in that same sense, some languages are prioritized or given preferential treatment over others. And it seems that Sanskrit is the loser in this situation. Yeah, I would agree. I'm like, really? The word namaste? Like, we're, we can't say that? <laughs> okay, you know, like, that's a, that's a greeting in, for billions of people in the world. <laughs> right, exactly. It just literally means hello. <laughs> right. I'm just like, and, and aloha, and, you know, salut, and <laughs> buongiorno. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. It's a scary word. I, I, right. I'm, I'm equally baffled with some of that. I'm just like, oh, right. I I don't get it. Um, All right. So what is your, okay. A lot of people were, you know, at least this is a step in the right direction. We should celebrate that step. Like no yoga. So some yoga is better than no yoga. So those incremental steps you know, at least we can maybe have some yoga in the schools, maybe not all of it, but this is, you know, an incremental step. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I guess, like the question that I asked in the article is, is some progress better than none, right? Is there a situation in which some progress is not better than any progress? And I think this applies to this, to this situation in particular, because um, I guess we have to ask ourselves, like, what exactly do we mean that it's progressed, right? Like what exactly is progressive? Like any yoga is better than none, but why is that so? Like, why are we saying that this is a good thing? Because um, it's, it's difficult to kind of express, but in this situation, when you're saying that, um, Yes, having any yoga, it doesn't matter that it's been stripped of its heritage, it's been stripped of the language that, you know, that, it, that it's been traditionally associated with it, um, that, you know, other aspects of yoga have been removed completely and are forbidden. Um, we're trying to say that whatever's left, this tiny little bit of yoga, if it can even be called yoga, uh, is better than nothing in when we say that we are actually i think prioritizing the benefit that the children in schools in alabama would get compared to the harm that is being caused to members of the south asian community right so we hear all these south asian yoga teachers who are speaking up about you know how you're capitalizing off a marginalized culture and erasing parts of the culture puja varani said this in in the comments in a thread of discussion that we had in the Connected Yoga Teacher Facebook group, that um, the issue is that we're forbidding some parts of someone's culture. And, you know, this is very hurtful to the people of this culture. And um, it's basically just white people deciding what's appropriate and what's not. And 
deciding that like whatever is appropriate, we're going to keep because it's beneficial. And when you say that um, this is a step in the right direction, even if it's the tiniest, babyest little step, when you say this is a good thing, you are actually prioritizing and elevating the voices of white people who want these benefits to their children in their schools uh, versus the harm that is being um, inflicted upon people of the South Asian community who are speaking up about it and saying that you're erasing my culture, you are not treating parts of my culture with respect. And when you say that, ah, it doesn't matter what you think, you are again, concretizing this idea that white people are better than everybody else. <laughs> and I don't think that this is what we as a yoga community would want, right? Like I get that yoga is beneficial, but isn't it also important to respect the people who uphold this culture, who have, who are, you know, the stewards of, of, of yoga. And when they speak up to say, uh, this is bad for us, this is, this is not, something that we would like uh, to share in this form and you say no it's not important then it it kind of like <laughs> continues that harm <laughs> um, and I think one of the aspects of yoga is ahimsa is non-violence not doing harm to others so if this is what your yoga is teaching and you're saying that the harm that I'm causing with this bill is not important, then where's your ahimsa? Where is, are you upholding your work as a yoga practitioner, yoga teacher? Like, this is my question, I guess. And I guess this is uh, something that each person will answer differently, <laughs> but it's something to think about. Yeah, definitely. I, yes, and those yamas and niyamas, they tend to be, I don't know, the foundation of a yoga practice or something like that, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> right and and I, I love that um you know that you're like don't be just self-serving like don't don't just take the parts that work for you there's there's a whole community and history here that needs to be acknowledged and if we're not acknowledging it then we are are harming and and ahimsa is all about non-harming mm-hmm. all right now, again, I'm quoting from your article, and you wrote, having guidelines in place for how yoga should be taught is acceptable, but making certain aspects of yoga illegal is where Alabama falls short. Okay. So, and I totally agree with you. I'm like making nama, the word namaste illegal? Like, seriously? What? What are we doing? Like, <laughs> And I, I, I believe, because I teach yoga in schools and I train people to teach yoga in schools, that having guidelines on how to do that in a school setting is important. For example, what you wear to a yoga studio, just your clothing, may be very different than what you're wearing to teach yoga in schools. Absolutely. Right? Um, I'm hoping that... It, you know, like people are like, oh yeah, schools, young kids, we should probably dress more like phys ed teachers when we're in a school sitting. And if we want to wear, you know, the, the really form-fitting, very small clothing to go to your hot yoga class, go do that. But that doesn't, that's not how I'm going to show up to teach yoga in a school. Like these are basic guidelines that 
I teach when I teach um, people about offering yoga in schools. <clears throat> and, uh, and I do teach people that I'm like, lots of people are really sensitive about chanting in Sanskrit in a school because they don't understand the words. And, um, and so just be really sensitive if you're going to do that, that you're providing a translation so that people know exactly what words you're doing for, you know, satanama or these kind of things. And then I said, and then feel free to have people own it and use their own words if that works for them, right? So it's like, yes, you can create your own mantras, you can create your own things, make it meaningful to you, take ownership of it, all these things. I think those are really important tools just as self-development and bringing yoga into schools. But can you talk a little bit about these guidelines versus illegal? And I don't know how, what we can do. Yeah, I guess uh, that's a great question. and. Guidelines are definitely important. And uh, I think what making something illegal does is that it takes away that ownership and that ability of yoga teachers to decide what is best for the students that they're working with, right? So this applies even outside of schools, right? Yoga teachers work with Christian groups. They work with people who have trauma, who have I don't know, like language difficulties, differences, all kinds of things. And yoga teachers, because of how they're trained and their experience, they know what would work best for the groups that they are working with. So maybe they wouldn't introduce Sanskrit words in a Christian group setting, right? Maybe they would use, uh, they wouldn't lead with a super long mantra in a place where there, there's a language barrier or like you know Sanskrit is a very difficult language right so um, but the idea that you can say that no these things are illegal kind of takes away that um, the ability of the yoga teacher to decide and I think that's where Alabama kind of falls short so it just says like no we know best what our students will need and I don't care what your training is, what your expertise is as a yoga teacher. That's not relevant to us. We as white people who are sitting here making decisions for the kids in our state, we know best and we know that Sanskrit is bad for them. <laughs> and, you know, coming at it with this kind of attitude is, I think, counterproductive and not very helpful <laughs> because like, why do they get to decide like have they been trained in yoga do they know have they been trained as educators <laughs> you know they are lawmakers i don't think many of them if any have any expertise in what it means to educate a child so why are they getting to decide right and to completely to make a part of or several parts of someone's culture completely illegal it kind of like shows kids in schools that this is okay <laughs> you know that yeah it's okay to take somebody else's culture the parts that we want and throw away the rest because that's what it's doing it's codifying this into their law and you know kids learn from example they say oh these adults they've taken this culture that comes from india and decided that no the rest of this is not important we're just going to throw it out and this is the part that we like and we're going to keep it and when they eventually grow up, they are going to adopt the same kind of 
practices, right? And um, is this the example that we want to be setting for our students, for our for the future generation of lawmakers and decision makers in our country, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, and to I guess to answer the question about like how can we promote change in this kind of culture or like what can be done, <laughs> I don't have an answer, but I think opening up the Florida conversations to, you know, to have actual meaningful discussions from a place of openness, from a place of wanting to understand um, is a good start to elevate South Asian voices in this space. When people have something to say, listen, and if they are saying something important, give them a platform like you have <laughs> to share this message with um, other people. And I think as, you know, more and more people start having those conversations, even in places like Alabama, where it's really conservative, and maybe these conversations will take a while to get there. But when they do, um, then I think change will be easier to implement and to enact. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, it is, it is a process, right? It's, you know, and and I think it's, I think you've raised a lot of important questions or the, or the thread and the conversation needs to be had. Um, so what kind of questions should we as yoga professionals, as admit, school administrators, politicians, what kind of questions should we be asking ourselves? Can you think of like when in our quiet time, it's like, huh, that's a really good question. I, I'm going to have need to sit with that for a little while and, and figure out where I'm comfortable and and taking all of these this information into consideration how am I going to move forward yeah. um, I think a good place to start is to as a yoga teacher or yoga practitioner is to ask yourself what does it mean to practice yoga and what is your intention in practicing and teaching yoga like I think these are good questions to ask. Like, it's your intention to help. Well, I don't know. Everybody has a different intention, right? <laughs> and that can lead you to, you know, how you perceive this bill and how you approach other conversations with um, people in this space. And I think to the school administrators or politicians or decision makers who are you know, considering like yoga in schools, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I think something to also consider is maybe where, if you are resistant to introducing yoga to schools, like where is this resistance coming from? Oftentimes it comes from a place of fear. And I think it would be a good exercise in personal reflection to contemplate this fear. Like what is it that you are so afraid of? And what are the consequences or or yeah just just sit with that fear and like explore it <laughs> understand where it's coming from and maybe you will find that there isn't actually that much to be afraid of <laughs> and that being open um to new voices to new perspectives can help direct your your thoughts in this in this context. Um, I think I'd also like to raise the, the point that intention does not outweigh impact. 
And this is something to keep in mind when we, um, in every action that we take, right? So whether it's talking about, you know, legislating yoga in schools or any other actions that we're taking in our lives, like, for example, uh, if you are in a crowd, crowded metro and you accidentally step on someone's foot, you didn't mean to step on their foot, but you still apologize because your action and the impact of your action does not outweigh your uh, the intention, right? So you might have a good intention of not stepping on someone's foot, but you have. And once you have, you have to make reparations. You have to take actions to fix that, right? You apologize. You be more alert and try not to step on anybody else's foot but and I think it's the same in this case that yes you may have good intentions in trying to introduce yoga back into Alabama schools but you must also consider the impact and when people speak up to say that this has a negative impact on us as a community then you need to pay attention to that and keep that in mind and you know make that right <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Like I said, um, when at the very beginning, like you raised a lot of questions that I had never considered. And I was like, oh, that's a good question. I gotta sit with that for a minute. Like the, the language question, I just, wow, okay. Never, never considered it. And, um, and just, just being so aware, yes, guidelines are great, but making it illegal has huge ramifications and for generations. As we see, is like you know, this is something from 1993 that is a whole. Well, I think is an absolute holdover that has no place in in our current life, and um, really, as you say, uh, completely negates and um, is harmful to a huge population of the world and to uh, individuals and citizens of the state of Alabama. Um, that that it needs to be recognized and and their their history their culture to, to be honored even if it isn't the majority culture um, that there is much to be said for that like you say these positions of power those uh, uh, anyone in power needs to recognize that they have power and that they can use that for good or ill and uh, in in this case i think it is more for ill than for good um, so, yes, thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up on this topic for our listeners, for our watchers today? Um, no, I think, I think, yeah, I'd just like to, I think maybe try to have some conversations with the people around you, with other yoga practitioners, other yoga teachers, with, you know, people, if you can diversify the conversation. If, so it's easy for, for people to just get stuck, tra trapped in talking with people who are, you know, in the same mindset as them. And then they kind of just fall into this echo chamber of, you know, like, yeah, I think it's great. You think it's great. You think it's great. We all think it's great. And then just have this idea that everybody thinks it's great. But outside of your little bubble, you might find that there are alternative voices and there are other perspectives that you may not have considered. So I would invite you to engage in conversations with South Asian yoga teachers about this topic to see what other additional perspectives they can bring to the table. And um, yeah, just invite them to a conversation to learn more, to, to be open to changing your, your 
perspectives. <laughs> and yeah, you might find that you learn something or you have a different perspective that you never thought about to think about. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. It's been a delight connecting with you and I wish you all the best in all of your content creating that you do. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to share this with your community. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening, for tuning in. Um, appreciate all of the feedback that you give. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about some of the things that we've brought up. And uh, so you can always email me, Donna at yogaandmyschool.com or leave a message on any of the social media things that um, where um, the Yoga in My School podcast is. Um, but yes, and if this, and in, in order to share this conversation, you know, share this episode, um, talk about things, have a conversation in your community and, and ask yourself some pretty deep questions about what are my personal biases and how I'm and, and how am I going forward with that? What is my intention? And how can that be more in line with those concepts of ahimsa and including all eight limbs of yoga when we teach yoga? So thank you very much, you guys. Have a great day.